It's Communion Sunday, so we're going to have a communion meditation instead of the usual sermon. And the title of this message is Break Up Your Fallow Ground. And this is going to be part one. There will be four parts to it. Turn in your Bibles or just read from the screen up there. The... um, Opening scripture there, Luke chapter 8, verses 11 through 15. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. When Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their heart, lest they believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy And these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word of God, Heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. And reading also from the second half of uh, Hosea uh, chapter 10 verse 12. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Fathers, we begin to go through this uh, series on... uh, Uh, the parable of the sower. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd visit us, Lord, and uh, uh, give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say. And uh, Lord, there's just so much here in that parable of the sower. Lord, uh, I know that I originally intended to preach all of this in one message, but Lord, as I began to get into the message, I realized how impossible that was to really cover the ground that needs to be uh, uh, covered here. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, just help us to look at this parable and see our hearts, Lord, and uh, help us to, uh, our hearts to be uh, softened, Lord God, so that your word can penetrate it, Lord, and uh, teach us new things from your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now we're going to talk about the parable of the sower. Uh, This is just one of the parables of Jesus. In fact, it's the very first parable, at least that the scripture talks about. What were parables? Parables were stories told by uh, Jesus to the public at large during his public ministry. Uh, And these stories were to illustrate these parables were stories that were designed to teach spiritual truth. Most everyone, including his disciples at the very first, did not understand the spiritual meaning behind these parables. It says in Matthew chapter uh, uh, 13, uh, verses 10, 13, and 16. It says, And the Disciples came to him, to Jesus, and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And part of Jesus' reply was verse 13. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Then he told his disciples, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears for they hear. And finally, we uh, read in uh, uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 34, but without a parable, he did not speak to them, that is, to the uh, masses. And, but when they were alone, that is, Jesus was alone with his disciples, he explained all things to them, to his disciples. Now, the thing is that we understand the parables, right? 
Why do we understand them? Because in many cases, Jesus gave the explanation to his disciples. And then his disciples, when they wrote the, uh, uh, the Gospels, they, exp- uh, they explained it to us. They gave the explanation of the first, that first parable, which is the parable of the sower. Now, the parable of the sower is mentioned all three, in all three synoptic gospels. You say, well, what are the synoptic gospels? Well, the synoptic gospels were the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And if you read them side by side, you'll follow, find that they often uh, follow along with each other and the stories overlap. And this is true of the parable of the sower. It's found in all three synoptic gospels. You find it in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 13. By the way, Matthew chapter 13 is kind of the definitive chapter on these parables. You uh, have a total of eight parables that were related in, uh, in, in just that uh, uh, one particular chapter. Mark 4 also records the parable of the sower and a few others. And Luke has the parable of the sower and uh, there's one other uh, parable. Now Luke is kind of interesting though because Luke has a lot of other parables that were later on and some of them are only found there in the Gospel of Luke. Those include such things as the parable of the prodigal son, also the parable of the Good Samaritan, and then there's that one parable that I've quoted to you quite a bit uh, recently when I've been talking about the righteousness of God and how it's based not on our own uh, works, our own self-effort, but it's based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The, t- the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee sought to justify himself on the basis of all his good works. But the tax collector says he wouldn't even look up to heaven while he was praying, but he beat on his chest and said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. So we depend on the righteousness and the mercy of God rather than our own self-righteousness. And that's found only in uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, specifically chapter 18. Now, whenever I think of the parable of the sower, I remember of uh, one Sunday morning, uh, maybe it was over 40 years ago, my uh, wife at the time, Dolly likes me to emphasize it was my wife at the time, not my current wife. But anyway, uh, uh, we went to this particular uh, <clears throat> church. We normally didn't go there, but for some reason, which I don't remember, we went to that church. And the uh, church, it was Central Assembly in my uh, home uh, city of El Cajon, California. Uh, Pastor Churchill had invited a guest speaker. And apparently uh, the guest speaker had been there a couple of earlier uh, uh, evenings, and he had been speaking on this very subject, the parable of the sower. And if memory serves me correct, the, the part, the aspect of the parable of the sower that he covered was the uh, uh, the uh, seed that fell among sword, uh, uh, thorns. And I remember sitting there, and I'm I'm, I'm taking copious notes. You know, uh, you know, when I was. Uh, uh, in Bible college, I would always take all these different notes. And uh, I always told my students when I was teaching in Bible college that in order to be a good teacher, you first have to be a good student. And that's why I was sitting there taking notes. And I thought, man, this guy, it, it just amazed me the depth of his knowledge on this subject. I'm sure that he'd uh, thought and meditated on the parable of the sower many uh, times over the years. So he just, it was out of the 
uh, the abundance of uh, all of that prayer and meditation that he had that he uh, shared with that. And of course, I took all those notes and, uh, you know, they're somewhere in all my papers. I don't know. You know, I love to find them again so I could uh, see what he shared on it. But as I began to uh, prepare this message, I realized you know, that the same thing was happening to me because the Spirit of uh, God was giving me all these different insights. And as I prepared it, see, I originally uh, intended to cover the entire parable on uh, uh, this Sunday morning. And the more that I got into it, the more I realized I couldn't. So instead of doing it on all four kinds of soil that are represented there in the parable of the sower, I just covered the first two. And then uh, this morning, I'm going through all of my sermon. You know, the way that I, I prepare these sermons is I think and meditate on them during the week. And then I sit down on Saturdays and I uh, put them to paper. Specifically, I write the uh, uh, PowerPoint presentation. Usually takes me a good three or four hours to, to do that. And then after I finish going writing the PowerPoint presentation, then I take what's in there and I transfer it to a preaching text right here. Okay? So that's the way that I do it. Then Sunday morning, I spend an hour in prayer, you know, between usually between 6 and 7. And then at 7 o'clock, I start going through that preaching text and making little notes in the margins as the Lord brings other things to my mind to share. So I started doing that this morning. And you know what happened? I only got halfway through. And then I, uh, you know, I was covering the first part of the soil, that is the soil that's by the wayside or the path, and it occurred to me that there's just so much that I need to share just about that one other thing. So the last half hour before we got, I got ready to go, I went through and I revamped my teaching. And I didn't have time to transfer that over to my uh, preaching text here. So I'm going to have to look. Uh, I changed the PowerPoint presentation, so if I keep glancing over there, you know, you'll know the reason why. Okay, so the story of the parable of the sower. I was just kind of, uh, kind of relate that to it, but because we got a little bit extra time here, because I've cut out half of this message, I can uh, go on ahead and read it. And and he that is Jesus. In fact, let, let me backtrack. Go, go to the beginning of Matthew chapter thirteen. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the way the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered unto him, so that he went into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. You know, one of the things that Jesus realized when he was preaching from that boat is that helped project his voice too, because it, it went over the water at first, and that had the effect of projecting his voice in a better way. And Jesus spoke many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went, out, went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some of the seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured them. Some fell among stony places, where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprang up, because they had no deepness of earth." And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But other seeds fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. And here, th this is one of the things I want to emphasize, what Jesus said at the end here. He said, he said He who has ears... Let him hear. Okay, so this was the very first parable that we have recorded that Jesus uh, gave. 
And this is one of the most important uh, parables. It says in uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 13. Remember, uh, you know, there the, the, the are parallels right in here. We've got Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8. I'm going I'm to be switching back between the, the uh, uh, passages of the three uh, Gospels. Okay? So, in, in uh, the account in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, it says, And Jesus said to his disciples... Do you not understand this parable? The parable is the one that he just gave, the parable of the sower. How then will you understand all the parables? In other words, the parable of the sower provides the key to understanding many of these other parables. Because they use the same symbols. First of all, the sower goes out. Of course, he's going to be sowing in a field. And what does the field represent? Well, we find out later on that the field represents the world, specifically the world of men. For God so loved the world, the world refers to the world of humanity. Okay? Then you have the sower. Who's the sower in the, uh, in the parable? The sower is Jesus. He sows the seed. What is the seed? The word of God. And finally, in this parable, you have the soil. And in this parable, at least, the soil refers the condition of the heart of the uh, hearer of the word. Okay? So I'm only going to cover, you know, like I said, I intended to go through the rocky soil uh, today too. So if I'm a little bit disorganized today, uh, please bear with me. Okay, the soil of the wayside, or in other words, the path. Uh, may, you know, I think we, uh, to, uh, when we think of the wayside, we, it, it's more of what we would think of as the path. Okay, Mark chapter 4 verse 15 tells us what the soil of the wayside represents. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. They hear, when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that is sown into their hearts. Now everybody get your thinking caps on and visualize what's happening here. Okay? You have the seed falling on the path. What do you know about a path? Well, you know that probably the soil on the path is going to be packed down. It's going to be very hard because of people walking on it and maybe animals too. Okay? Number two, it doesn't have any vegetation on it, right? Because the vegetation's gotten trampled underfoot. Maybe there's been no vegetation on it for uh, many years. Or organic material. In short, there's nothing to fertilize the seed when it falls there. Or conceal it. It's out in the open. You know, you don't have that fertilizer to help it uh, germinate. And it's exposed. Not only can it not ger germinate, but what, what happens? The birds uh, fly around there, and they're just looking for uh, choice morsels in the form of the, that seed, and they uh, see it, and then they take it up and devour it. Now, birds are often a symbol in the Bi Bible of a satanic or de demonic presence. That is their symbol of evil many times in the Bible. For example, if you read the parable of the mustard seed, this is found uh, later on in uh, Matthew chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 31. It says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. 
which is indeed the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Okay, so I've given you a little bit of a, an explanation of what that's talking about. What is the mustard seed? The mustard seed represented the visible church that started out very small, right? Just a handful of uh, uh, disciples, 120 of them in the upper room. Okay? And Peter got up there. That, well, first of all, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And they started speaking in tongues. And they gathered a crowd with that. And then uh, Peter preached his uh, great uh, message on the day of Pentecost, you find that in Acts chapter 2. And what happened? 3,000 people got saved. So instead of being 120, you had 3,120. And the visible church just grew and grew and grew from there. So the mustard seed started out as a little tiny seed. And then it sprouted up and became great. Now this is representative of the church, how the church grew and became great. And today, the church of Christianity is the most uh, prodigious uh, uh, religion in the world. Something like more than two billion people today claim to be Christians. That's the visible church. But the true church is the invisible church. That is, you can't see in people's hearts, right? So somebody can claim to be outwardly a Christian, but they've never really been born again. Okay? So this tree, this mustard tree became very great. And it says that the birds of the air began to nest in the branches. What's that talking about? Well, it's talking about the fact that within the church, false prophets and false doctrines would arise. And by the time of the Reformation, which we've talked about before, by the time of the Reformation, the, the Roman Catholic Church had become almost completely apostate. And you had all these doctrines such as the uh, uh, doctrine of the Eucharist. You know, the idea, you know, we celebrate uh, uh, communion here, but the Catholic Church uh, says that uh, when the priest blesses the elements, they become literally the body and blood of the Lord. And that became an acid test, at least with the Church of England, is they were still adhering to this uh, doctrine of uh, uh, the uh, elements being transformed literally into the body and blood of the Lord. And you had to uh, say there in that Church of England that, yes, you believe that that's what happened. And he said, no, that uh, I don't believe it. I believe that the uh, communion elements, as we celebrate them, are a memorial. And if you said that they're a memorial and not the actual body and blood of the Lord, you were burned at the stake. Something, something like 300 of them under the reign of uh, the woman that they called Bloody Mary, Queen Mary. And that's what happened. Okay, this is a false doctrine that came in. And it's symbolized by the way that the birds nested. And there's a whole, uh, whole preponderance of other doctrines, such as papal infallibility and the doctrine of Mariology. You know, that uh, uh, Mary becomes a, a mediator, not just Jesus. It says, you know, it says in the Word that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So that eliminates Mary. Okay? So and it's not only the Roman Catholic Church, and they, they still adhere to uh, many of these doctrines even today, you know, they've improved a lot, but they still have a lot of these false doctrines. And the other things like the, the cults, you know, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and Christian science. You know, these are other nests, you know, that uh, birds, the birds have uh, formed in there. That is the evil spirits that came by and built nests into the church of God. 
So you see what Jesus is talking about. And once again, the birds are evil, you know, with the devouring the seed on the uh, ground that's planted by the wayside. Here they're evil too in this illustration of the parable of the mustard seed. Another example of uh, birds being portrayed as evil is in the apostate church. You read the book of Revelation and you have the apostate church which is uh, described in the book of Revelation chapters 17 and 18. And in 18 verse uh, uh, 2, And he, that is the angel, cried, he cried mightily with a loud voice, crying, uh, saying, Babylon the great is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Okay? So here, once again, the birds are described as something evil that permeated the apostate church, the demonic presence within the apostate church. Also, the house of Israel. We're going to be talking a little bit about uh, the house of Israel in a few minutes. Okay, so uh, Jeremiah writes in uh, Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 26 and 27. For among my people are found wicked men. They lie in wait as one who sets snares. They set a trap. They catch men as a cage full of birds. So their house, houses are full of deceit. Therefore they have become great and grown rich. Jeremiah was talking about the way that the house of Israel had become. It was dominated. And you know this is coming true here in this nation as well. There's a few people that are very, very rich. If you watch the news, you'll find that out. And what's happening is the, rich, the old saying, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. That's happening here. It happened in the house of Israel. Because these rich people exploited the poor, took everything that they could from them, and that's grieved the heart of God very much. And this is why, you know, Jeremiah is talking, this is in the beginning chapters there, before the judgment of God befell the house of Israel. And God is saying, this is why, you know, um, my judgment is going to fall, befall this nation. It's not just that, the, you know, all of these, uh, you know, corrupt re religions that are, are cropping up. It's also all of the, the whole attitude of the rich exploiting the poor. And God's ear always hears the cry of the poor. And when the cry becomes so great, then God's hand of judgment befalls them. And I, you know, I pray it doesn't happen to this nation, but I think it's going to happen if we're not careful. Because the same thing is happening here. As I said, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And so uh, Jeremiah takes these people and he talks about, uh, you know, as a cage, cage full of birds, that is evil spirits, so their houses are full of deceit and they have become great and grown rich. Okay. The last illustration of the uh, birds becoming a symbol of what is evil. It's true of Satan himself. He, the Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesian believers and he says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In what you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. When you think of air, you know, things in the air, you think of birds, right? Because birds fly in the air. The spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. Okay, so the prince of the powers of the air. Now, this is what I'm trying to do. You know, I got to this point of uh, this 
I'm sorry, I flipped my slide too early. <clears throat> the conclusion that I have is that the seed falls on, that falls on the path cannot germinate. Right? Because it's packed down. And the people that are represented by the uh, ground, the hard ground of the path, are those that do not have faith. Okay? And I shared up here, this is part of the original sermon, so it says, Take heed that you receive the word of God by faith. It says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word that they, which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith by those who heard it. Okay? So, what was it talking about in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2? It was talking about what happened to the children of Israel while they were wandering around in the wilderness. It says that they had an evil heart of unbelief. And this became what became known as the rebellion. Okay, so reading from the previous chapter to Hebrews 4.2, it says... In verse 7 of chapter 3 of Hebrews, Wherefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear my voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation or rebellion. Now, I'm, I'm reading from the King James Version. It's a little bit different than what is up there on the screen. That's New King James Version. But it's sim a pretty similar. Uh, when you... In the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they should not enter into my rest. They couldn't enter into the promised land. Okay? Now think about what they, the children of Israel had seen before the Exodus. What happened just before the Exodus? You had the ten plagues, right? God worked all these miracles in bringing about the ten plagues. And by the way, that's, that's an illustration. It says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. How did God... You know, doesn't that make uh, God a villain? Says he hardened his heart. Well, the thing that was, Pharaoh was an unbeliever. And the more miracles that God worked there in the, uh, in the land of Egypt, all of these uh, plagues, you know, turning the uh, Red Sea to blood, then the plague of the uh, frogs and the gnats and uh, uh, the grasshoppers and the plague of hail, the plague of darkness. You know, God worked all these miracles and Pharaoh still didn't believe. And so it wasn't a matter of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's heart got hard because he saw more and more miracles and he still didn't believe. Okay, so there's a little lesson there. You see God working in your life. That should increase your faith. But sometimes people just don't get the message. And they become like the seed that falls on the hard ground. And the birds of the air come by and scoop it up. Okay? And think about the children of Israel. They saw all these miracles, right? These miracles in the uh, uh, land of Egypt with the ten plagues. Then they got up to their backs against the Red Sea. And what happens? Moses lifts up his staff, 
the Red Sea parts. I mean, that's a, about as big a miracle as you can think, the parting of the Red Sea. If you ever saw the movie, The Ten Commandments, they do a great job of depicting that. So the children of Israel saw the ten plagues. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. And they go out into the wilderness. And they say, oh, we're going out here to die. And Moses, you know, uh, strikes the rock. What comes out? Water. So they had enough water. You know, they thought they were going to die of thirst. You know, the water just gushes out of the rock. And they say, oh, we're going to starve out here. And then God sends them the manna. Okay, so they've seen all these things, the plagues of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the uh, uh, water from the rock, the manna, all these miracles. And they come to the brink of the promised land. And God says, okay, before you guys go in, I want you to send tw uh, 12 spies out there to check out the land. And they're out there for 40 days, it says in the Bible. They come back. And ten of those spies brought back what's described as an evil report. They said, yes, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, but we saw these giants there. There's no way we can ever defeat them. Let's go back to Egypt. And the two spies, Caleb and Joshua, said, no, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's go in. God is going to give us the victory. He gave us the victory in Egypt. He gave us the victory at the Red Sea and with the water out of the rock and uh, with the manna. And God can give us the victory. And the majority, uh, the, the, uh, the people sided with the ten spies that said, no, we can't do that. Instead of siding with Joshua and Caleb, it said, we are able to go up and take the country. And what happened? Their hearts were hardened. They saw all the miracles of God, but they still did not believe. Okay? So the on the parable of the sower, they... Uh, seed that falls there on the wayside represents the people who do not believe. And it doesn't matter what kind of miracle that God does today. God could do the same miracles he did in Egypt. And there are still many, many people that will not believe because their hearts are hardened because of unbelief. The writer of Hebrews concludes that uh, after talking about the day of rebellion, he, he urges his listeners. He says, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The same thing can happen to us that happened to the children of Israel in that day of rebellion. Okay? So the conclusion here. The seed that falls by the path cannot germinate because the soil was hard. This represents the people who cannot receive the word because they lack faith. Now it occurred to me as I was going through this, that the parable of the sower is not just a one-shot deal. Jesus doesn't just spread the seed around one time, but he's constantly spreading it around. And how is your heart when you hear it again? Brothers and sisters, you hear it Sunday in and Sunday night, or Sunday after Sunday, as I preach it from here. And I'm hoping that you get into the Word too. So you should be constantly bombarded with the seed of the Word. But how is your heart? Are you open to it? How you receive it is all important. 
I'm sorry, I'm looking back over here again. This is not in my preaching text. So, what about us? How are we receiving the Word of God? Are we receiving it with an open heart or with a heart of unbelief? We should be coming here to hear the Word of God, not just to believe it, but also to put it into practice. You know, James talks about the person that hears the Word of God and doesn't put it into practice is like a man who looks into a mirror and he turns away and immediately forgets whatever kind of man, you know, what he looked like there in the mirror. Hopefully we should be putting the Word of God into practice. Do we receive the Word of God with openness of heart? Or do we allow the enemy to come and steal it away from us before it germinates? By the way, the plants represent the image of God that should be developing in you, the character of God that should be developing in you. So, my conclusion here, and you know, because I've cut out half the sermon, we're going to be wrapping up a little bit early, but that's okay because we're going to be partaking of communion. <clears throat> anyway, is do not allow your heart to be hard like the soil of the wayside. Instead, let it be tender. And you know the way that you can do that? The way you can do that ahead of time is to pray and ask that your heart be tender, that it be open to what God says to you. You know, it's not just you that he's dealing, he's dealing with me. You know, Dolly and I... Uh, you know, one of the things he spoke to me about today is Dolly and I, every uh, night, we read the Bible together. Take a reading of the, out of the New Testament and another one out of Psalms and another one out of Proverbs. And it's occurred to me that before we start reading the Word, you know what we need to do? We need to pray and ask God to Speak to our hearts. And the same thing is true with you, brothers and sisters. I hope you're all reading the Word, but you need to pray about it beforehand. And you know what? You need to be praying before you come here to church. Pray that you will do as uh, Jesus instructed there in the at the conclusion of the prayer of the parable of the sower. And that is you need to pray and say, Lord, give me ears to hear. He that has ears, let him hear. He said that seven times too. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, you had the, uh, uh, the word of uh, the Lord that was delivered to the seven churches. And you know how he concluded each one? He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And if you notice that I often pray that way in my prayers too. I say, you know, uh, Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit would be uh, speaking to the church. Now, it doesn't mean that my words are e equal to the Word of God, but if I'm preaching the Word of God, it, it, as, as they follow the Word of God, they should be, you know, that uh, to you. Okay? So let's, you know, this is what I want to think about as we, uh, uh, you know, conclude this communion meditation. In these communion meditations, you know, many times I try to... Uh, um, speak to you regarding this. One of the things that you can, you know, this is all the stuff that I was taught. 
going to talk about to, uh, today. And this is it here. We're to know the Word of God. I've talked to you about uh, knowing before. What did I talk about in uh, knowing? I mentioned that the uh, word in the Greek there, know, is the word gnosko, which means to experience it. Oida means just an intellectual apprehension. But gnosko is a higher form of knowledge, and it means experience, experiential knowledge. We're to experience the Word of God in our lives. Okay? So you don't just read the Word of God. You don't just listen to it here on Sunday mornings or even memorize it, but you claim it as a Word from God for you personally. And that is the rhema word. It becomes real. It becomes living. Now, the rhema word that I want to give to you today is God spoke to the nation of Israel during the captivity. You know, the time of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah gave that message found in, that we talked about in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 3. It's long gone because Israel had fallen into apostasy and they incurred the judgment of God. But God spoke to the nation of Israel during the captivity and let them know that he wasn't finished. And he says in Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 25 and 27. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols, all your idols. And here's the key here. I will give you a new heart. Uh, uh, I will take the, uh, <clears throat> a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take that heart of stone. Remember, they hardened themselves in the day of uh, testing that they went through. They hardened their hearts. They saw the miracles of God and they still refused to repent from that. He says, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So how many of you here want that heart of flesh rather than that heart of stone. How many of you want to have tender hearts here? Hearts that are pliable. Hearts that God can mold and shape into His own image. So my conclusion here, and this is going to be the conclusion. Again, you know, we've only covered the, uh, the, uh, the hard ground, the ground by the wayside. We're going to go through the stony ground and the thorny ground and finally the good ground that bears forth fruit. Okay? And this is going to be the conclusion that I give you. Hosea chapter 10 verse, the second part of verse 12. Break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. So one thing I don't have mentioned here is without rain or water, you can't grow anything. What do we pray for Sunday in and Sunday out? Rain. We pray for rain. Without rain, you can't grow anything, right? What is the rain? What is the water? What are those symbols of in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. So here the sower sows the seed, the Word of God. Jesus sows the Word of God in your heart. 
But you've got to have the Holy Spirit to make it grow. Amen? So God's word to us is this. Break up your fallow ground. That ground by the wayside, by the path. It's hard. Pray for a tender heart. And then God can rain his righteousness on you through his Holy Spirit. So fallow ground gets hard after a while and impervious. You need to break up the fallow ground of our hearts. You got to plow it under and do the other things. Dig out the rocks. Get rid of the thorns. We'll talk about those in future messages. But the scripture tells who to break it up. Who breaks up your, the fallow ground of your heart? You do. It's implying that you have to do it yourself. And, you know, Hosea says it's time to seek the Lord. You say, I want to seek you, Lord God. I want to break up the fallow ground of my heart. The simple fact is, brothers and sisters, I've told you this before too. Everybody in this room is responsible for the condition of of their heart. You know, we can pray for people, but the person needs to make that conscious choice that they're going to break it up. And if your heart is hard like the uh, packed soil of the, uh, uh, by the wayside, you need to break it up. And again, this, this happens every day doesn't just happen once you know in a lifetime it's constantly happening to uh, every day because Jesus is constantly trying to sow his word into our hearts so for the communion meditation I'd just like to examine remember I've told you what about communion the purpose of communion is twofold what is the first thing is to remember the Lord's death until he returns, but it's also a time of self-examination. And as we partake of the elements today, brothers and sisters, this is what I'd like to focus on. You know, what is the condition of our heart? And if we think that our heart has grown hard and it's become impervious to the word of God, this is the time to make it right. Okay.